0: It's good to see you this morning. We were led in our uh, intercessory prayer by uh, Seth. And those of you who may not know him, Seth Philbrick, he's our head of our youth ministry here. And uh, you can read an article that he wrote in the front of Atonement Life this week about Atonement Youth and Family Ministries. I hope you do. And I'd just like to announce to all the youth that hang time begins tonight at 5 o'clock. It will be in Rankin Hall and, of course, you're all invited, middle school and high school. So uh, please take advantage of the opportunity. We'd love to see you. I'm going to ask you to open up your Bibles with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're going to look at, uh, I'm sorry, 1 Timothy chapter 4. We're going to look at ber- verses 6 through 16. And that's page 992 in your, uh, in your few Bible. Paul's writing to Timothy. Timothy is at Ephesus. Uh, he's uh, he's pastor there, at least sort of an interim pastor, someone whom um, Paul has sent into the situation with the church that has a lot of troubles, and uh, and so this is what Paul writes to his protege Timothy. He says, if you put these things before the brothers, these things is a phrase he uses eight times in First Timothy. He's talking about the instruction, the teaching, the gospel that he is. Um, that he is uh, sharing and, and mentoring Timothy in. He says, if you put these things before the brothers, you'll be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you've followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths, but rather train yourself for godliness. For while bodily discipline is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive because we have set our hope on the living God who is the Savior of all people and especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the, exam- the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. And until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in these things so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Let's pray together. Father, I'd like to ask you now that you would make the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer, through Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, I don't know what your impression is as I read this passage to you, or maybe you even read it uh, last night and considered it yourself. But at first pass, I think it's—I uh, think it could easily be a temptation just to kind of sweep past it. And Paul's writing so personally to one individual, to Timothy, whom he calls my, my true child in the faith. And he, he not only writes so personally, he writes so specifically about the situation in, in Ephesus. And and, and furthermore, Paul I'm sorry, uh, Timothy rather. Timothy is a pastor. He's a pastor at that church at Ephesus, and few of us are, are pastors. I mean, this is a great passage to preach before ministers and elders at presbytery. But what about the congregation? And I want to suggest to you this morning that I think that this text is for each one of us. It has something to say that's very profound to each one of us. because here is a case study in a man who is in a hard place, just like many of you may be in a hard place this morning, or have been, or will be. Let's think about that. A case study of a man who's in a hard place. Timothy was a strong Christian. He'd been well-mentored by Paul. There was no better mentor in the world. He was spiritually gifted. He had ample experience. He had all the qualifications he needed to do the work that God had called him to do. That was Timothy. And yet he was in a hard place. Folks, I mean, a hard place can happen to anybody, to any one of us. So here he is in Ephesus and he's discouraged. He is unhappy. He'd like to pick up and leave if he could. Paul says he can't. He has to remain there. He feels stuck. He feels trapped. He's opposed as a teacher. He is dismissed as a leader on the grounds that he's too young. He's overwhelmed as a shepherd. There's so many people in the congregation with such profound needs, and the resources are so limited. And this was a problem beginning with the widows who were in the church. As Paul's right-hand man, of course, he'd been respected. But now he's feeling rejected. And he has to ask himself, are the gossipers correct? Does he not have what it takes to be the pastor to be in this place doing the will of God? So Timothy is anxious. He's losing confidence. He may be losing faith. If there's a light at the end of the tunnel, it's too far off to make any difference for Timothy. Now, that was his hard place. Now, if you go through the Bible, you'll find that there are a lot of people who found themselves in hard places in the Bible, and that includes hard places and being among hard people where faith is truly put to a test. I mean, truly tested. It's not a test if it's not really tested in multiple ways. And that faith is tested not only uh, from the beginning but to the end, not only in... Uh, God, if you love me, why did you let this happen to me? To God, if you love me and if you are with me, why don't you rescue me? Why didn't why did this happen to me in the first place and why am I getting no relief? I mean, you think about it. There was Joseph who was sold into slavery from the ages of 17 to 30. That's a long time, 13 years. There were the children of Israel in the wilderness for 40 years, and Moses in particular, who had to put up with them for 40 years. There was David hunted by Saul for the better part probably of a decade. There was Judah taken captive to Babylon for 70 years, and Daniel among them, who was made a eunuch to serve the kings of Babylon, to serve the leaders of his nation's enemy. You think about the Apostle Paul, 2 Timothy, writing at the end of his life, abandoned, he said, by everyone in Asia, now in prison, now in chains, only Luke, the physician, is with him. You think of John, exiled on the Isle of Patmos after all the other apostles had been killed or disappeared or whatever, killed. And yet, when you look at these people throughout the course of Scripture, what you see is this this quality in them. That apart from any deliverance, they are still more than conquerors. They are not defeated in spirit. They do not abandon their faith. In fact, they grew in their faith. They did remarkably triumph. And they did this simply by holding on to the truth. Holding on to the truth. Not denying it. Recognizing that what was at stake in this test of their faith was whether they would hold on to the truth. That this was really what it was about. And as a result of holding on to the truth, they grew. They were in wilderness places, and yet they grew. They didn't wither. They really did grow. Talk about holding on to the truth. You say, well, okay, how did they grow? They realized, they knew, they held on to this. They were not not being punished, they were being tested. They were not being rejected or abandoned by God. This was happening to the end that God would draw them closer to himself. That God was out to glorify himself, not at their expense, but to glorify himself to them and in them and through them. And they believed it. And it sustained them. It really sustained them. And they became more than conquerors. Because they held on to the word of God. They held on to his promises. They accepted his instruction. Now I ask the same of you. Do you feel like you're in a hard place in your life? You think about this. In your, in your marriage? Or as a single adult? With your job? Or with your unemployment? It's a stage of life where you find yourself early on struggling or later on. Are you in a hard place in your family? Are you in a hard place because of your health? Do you know what it is like to feel stuck in a hard place? Well, Timothy did. And Paul, in these verses, really calls him to recover his mindset, what he knows to be true. And to that end, he presents Timothy with an image that really is unforgettable and that he will return to again when he writes Timothy again in Second Timothy. And he presents him with this image to the end. That Timothy will stop focusing on what he cannot do anything about. But that he instead will give attention to what he can do something about. Where he can make a difference. And he can do something about himself. Himself. The Lord has not taken Timothy to the woodshed when Paul sent him to Ephesus. The Lord has taken Timothy to the gym like a spiritual athlete to work out his salvation, to engage in the hard but necessary exercise of growing in godliness. That's why Timothy is there. and While Paul addresses Timothy's Responsibilities as a preacher, he does, and as a pastor, and he does. His focus is not on the welfare of the church. It is on Timothy's welfare. This passage really is about Timothy's recovery, not only from the criticisms of others, but from his own self-doubt. He's been paying too much attention to other people. He's been having too many attention, too many conversations with himself about himself. He needs to get back to the Word, to take God's truth deeply to heart about himself. And ta- instead of talking to himself about his, how hard his situation is, he needs to be talking with God about how great He is in relying on God as His Father and being refreshed in the love and mercy of God. And when He does, He will be renewed by Christ's Spirit. And when He is renewed by Christ's Spirit, He will give Himself to reading and preaching and teaching the Word. The Word He's received. The words that has refreshed Him. He will be given to do those things so that his congregation in turn may be renewed as well. But he must attend to himself. He must take care of himself. That's for all of us who are in hard places. We tend to stress over the things we cannot change. You can't change other people. You can't change what they think. You cannot change what they're saying about you. But you can address yourself and hold to the way, hold your own issues, your welfare, and hold to the word. There are two paragraphs here, verses 6 to 10 and 11 to 18. The first paragraph focuses on Timothy himself, and it's the second paragraph that really does sort of focus on his ministry. That order is significant. If you think with me about the beginning of this passage, starting in verse 6, Paul says to Timothy, he says, if you put these things, these things that I've been teaching you, if you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Having nothing to do, have nothing to do with irreverent silly mess, but rather train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way. It holds promise for the present life, but also for the life to come. You hear that word repeated again, training, training, train yourself, train yourself in godliness, train, train, train. What Paul is saying to Timothy very simply is this. Stop looking for a way out. Take the way up. Stop fretting over others and their shenanigans. Pay attention to yourself. Train yourself for godliness. You know, our, our word for our word gymnasium comes from this term, the principal term Paul uses for training. It is gymnao, to train. A gymnasium is for athletes. And our word athlete also comes from a Greek word that is also in the New Testament that Paul also uses with Timothy in 2 Timothy. It comes from the word prize. Because no one's going to train. No one's going to go through all the grief and the hardship of training unless there is a carrot at the end of the stick, unless there is a prize. Prize. We compete for a prize, for a trophy, for the reward at the end. We don't do it for nothing. We do it for a good reason. Gymnasiums where people go to train. You know what a gymnasium is? It's, it's designed. It's a, pl- it's a place that's designed for people to build themselves up. And you say, well, how is it designed for people to build themselves up? It places before people challenges that they must face to test and to develop their strength. That's exactly what a gym is. It is a place of misery. It is hard work. But let me tell you, you know, oftentimes, you know, when you sign up for a gym... You know, they, they make different promises and stuff. Well, I'm going to say that here's the one promise that comes with every gym membership. They always promise you will see results, you will see results. Here is the one promise that comes, should come with every gym membership. It should read this way. You will see results if you do not give up. That's what it needs to say. Perseverance. That's the greatest challenge of all, isn't it? We think about our problems, this, that, whatever's happening into our, in our lives at this point, at that point. The greatest challenge is perseverance. That is the grand challenge in the Christian life. It's perseverance. You know, going to the gym, it's kind of hard. It's not like going to a movie theater plopping down in a recliner with a grocery bag full of buttery popcorn and a half gallon of root beer. It's not like that at all. Then to watch a movie, that's not what going to the gym's like. Have you ever heard anybody come tell you, said you know let me tell you something. I'm done going to the movies. It's just though it's just too difficult for me. It's too hard. It's just too rough on me. I sweat too much. So, why stay with the hard thing? The Apostle Paul elsewhere says Every athlete exercises self control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we, an imperishable wreath. It's a prize. In verse 10 of our text, he says, For to this end we toil and strive, because we have set our hope on the living God. And to toil means to expend our strength, really to expend it until we have no more. To strive, literally, is to agonize. and It referred to wrestling. You see, wrestlers in the Olympics, of all the Olympic games, the, all the contests, the one I would least want to be in is wrestling. That's the hardest. You see people there for three minutes, four minutes on the mat, they don't move. Well, they don't move because they are, for every action, there's, a react, there's this incredible stress and strain. People are trying to outwit each other with all of their strength. You have an opponent It's not like archery. And Paul is saying that when you approach the Christian life in this way, it's what God, Christ, calls us to do. My word, he went to the cross. He says, it's worth it. He says that there is a glorious crown on the end for those who have loved Christ's appearing and live for the moment they see him themselves. It is worth it. Hearing him say, Look at us. Understand all that we have endured for him. How we've held on to our faith. What that is required and demanded of us. And to hear him look at us in those aisles and say, Well done, good and faithful servant. The very language of the good servant that Jesus used, Paul uses here of Timothy in this passage. It is worth it. And if you think that you're on a, if you think you're in an arena filled with lions and that there's no one in the stands to support you, that's not true. There are, there is a cloud of witnesses surrounding you. The heavenly host of those who have gone before who know what you're going through, who know what it is to be tested and have persevered, who have finished their race. Second Timothy 2 Timothy 2.5, Paul writes, Timothy, I looted this passage already. He says, also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. And here's rule number one. You must finish the race. That's rule number one. You can't drop out. You can't get to the end unless you finish. So, in those contexts, in those hard places where we find ourselves, remind yourself, recall God's promises that He has made as to you. And remind Him of those promises. Be bold about it. Tell Him, it says right here, God, you said, this is for me. Talk a little trash to the devil. Declare your defiance. That's really what we're doing. That really, I think, is what we're doing in our worship. I was looking at the songs today. We begin, you know, I sing the mighty power of God. We went on after uh, singing that to, He leads me. He will hold me fast. This is the worship of persevering Christians. Now, why does Paul write Timothy this way? Why do I suggest that he writes to Timothy this way? Because Paul knows two things. And we know them too. But it's good to be reminded, isn't it? First is, he knows... That what is happening around you is not nearly as critical as what is happening within you. That what other people may be saying to you or about you is not nearly as important as what you're saying to yourself about yourself. He knows that your spirit, he knows that your circumstances are not as crucial as your spiritual life. And it's when we invert these priorities in our minds, when we flip them on our heads, we begin thinking and reacting as if the external is more important than the internal, that our circumstances are more important than our spiritual life, that what other people are thinking or saying about us is more important than what we're thinking about ourselves or saying to ourselves. That is when we are in trouble because that is when we're focusing on what we can do nothing about and neglecting the most important thing that we can do something about. In the same way, the temporal is less important than the eternal. Your present is less important than your future. Your adversaries are weaker than your advocate. Your devils are less powerful than your deliverer. So your hope is sure. Don't run scared. And Paul alludes to the second reason. He alluded to the second reason why he exhorts and teaches Timothy this way. He alluded to it earlier at the beginning of the passage when he wrote that godliness is is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Well, what is the promise of godliness for the present life? And I want to suggest to you that from the exhortations that follow, in the latter part, the second paragraph of our text, Paul has in mind the impact that Timothy's commitment is going to have on other people. The impact that he is going to have on other people, that his commitment to godliness will have on other people, and how that will change the hard place that he is in. Think about these exhortations from verse 12. He says, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. He says, practice these things, immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Not just the teaching, but on yourself and on the teaching. What's happening in you and on the teaching? Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Now, we are justified through faith in Christ alone by the grace of God. But as John Calvin pointed out in this passage, Paul oftentimes enshrines means as well as the origin or um uh yes the sovereign origin behind our salvation and 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 credits that as saving us the means as well the evangelist saves the unbeliever you had that language in the new testament it's not absolutely true of course but he's talking about means and that's what paul is talking about here with timothy about means You will save yourself as well as your hearers. Why? What's rule number one? Persevere. Do not quit. Finish. And that doesn't mean dragging yourself. Constant training. Constant training. You see, what Paul is saying to Timothy here, in these latter verses, the principle behind it, Is that when you change yourself, when you yourself change, when you yourself are growing, when you yourself are making progress, you know what has just happened? You have changed every relationship you have. Every relationship you have has changed because you have changed. And it is affecting other people, whether they see it or whether they say it, rather, or not. Whether it's evident to you, whether you see the effect or not. It is affecting other people. regardless of whether you can help other people stay spiritually focused, regardless of whether you can help other people be examples or make progress, you can stay focused yourself, you can be an example yourself, and you can make progress. You can grow, and it affects other people. And that is why you're in the mess you're in so that you grow. You're at the gym. You're at the gym. People see the change. Entire community, whatever that situation you're in, a church or family or workplace or marriage. Let me tell you something, it is very hard. You'll make it much harder for your critics To look down on you when secretly they have to admire you, for example. It'll be much harder for naysayers to dismiss you when they see your steady progress and that you are growing stronger. They will see Christ in you. And the more people see Christ in him, in you, the more they know that you are not to be taken lightly. And God willing, closed hearts may be opened. At the very least, softened. And those hard places will not be so hard. But the challenge that Paul gives to Timothy. Is a challenge he gives every one of us in hard places. It is natural for us to look for a way out. But oftentimes there is no way out. The challenge for us really is not to look for the way out. The challenge for us is to take the way up. That's the challenge to take the way. Discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness. Let's pray together. Father, we love you and I want to thank you for this passage of your word. Paul speaks to Timothy so directly with a lot of love but firmness too because he knew what he was talking about. (laughs) Paul knew it, it was true. It's about holding on to your word, really growing stronger in the truth that you have given to us, taking it personally to the heart. It is about it is about taking the way up. And Paul himself had experienced the fruit of it. We look at Paul in Corinthians, his letters to the Corinthians. We look at Paul going through very hard things over time. We see how his perseverance was rewarded. But over time, we see him as an example and pace setter for us. But Paul here calls Timothy to be an example and pace setter for others. And in the same way that we do the same. Lord, it's really not... Just a survival strategy. It's a strategy for how we become more than conquerors through Christ who loves us in whatever hard place we find ourselves. And I pray, Lord, that you'd minister to us this very day and in the coming days. And we'll be careful to give you glory and thanks. We worship you as persevering. Christians. Amen.